The Competitive Contractor Podcast is brought to you by Shivendra & Co. Visit www.shivendra.com to find out how you can work with us to grow your business, be more profitable, and become a competitive contractor. Hi everyone, it's Shivendra Kumar welcoming you to the Competitive Contractor Podcast a podcast especially for contractors helping build Australia's infrastructure. We all are familiar with Made in Australia, by Australian Made, and so on. But we often don't realize that such terms extend beyond manufactured products. Construction is one such example where 80% of major infrastructure projects are delivered by multinational firms. So while local contractors are involved indirectly, there is the common question of, if we are constructing the project indirectly, why can't we be involved directly? There is so much potential in the local construction industry. Our history of building the world-renowned snowy hydro scheme back in the day, and also being the birthplace of local construction firms which are now owned by multinationals with a global footprint. It's potential that's idling. And the question I have today is, how do we fire up Australia's construction potential. To discuss this topic today, I'm delighted to have the CEO of Australian-owned contractors and a very passionate advocate of Australian contractors, Brent Crockford. Brent has been engaged in the public service sector since early 2000s and has worked with government and policymakers for most of his career. Earlier this year, Brent was appointed to lead Australian-owned contractors an industry association representing 16 mid-tier construction companies. Brent, it's uh, great having you on this podcast and what a year it has been for Australian-owned contractors. Thank you very much, Shavendra, and for inviting me on. And in fact, uh, in your introduction there, I'm pleased to say Australian-owned contractors now represents 18 members with a few recent inclusions. So it certainly has been a good year for us and a busy year. Yeah, that's brilliant. 18 is a good number to have. Now, let's start the discussion firstly by knowing more about you and how you became the CEO sure. of Australian-owned contractors. Yeah, well, my career very much started in the political arena, actually, under the Howard government and then in the opposition for the coalition under the Rudd and Gillard governments. And then an opportunity came with, for those Victorian or politically interested members listening, in a surprise coalition win at the 2010 election. And I had the opportunity to jointly manage and then head up Victorian government practice at a bipartisan public affairs firm. So that was the next stage of my career. And after eight or so years, I decided I wanted to try something else. And I'd actually had some great fun and learned a lot working on big bids for Victorian and some national infrastructure, policy work on clients. And as I mentioned, in Victoria, the Eddington report, which you might be familiar with, was mm -hmm. very much a framework and infrastructure roadmap. And I argue still is in my home state. So I then threw my hat in the ring to become um, the inaugural chief executive of the growing Australian-owned contractors earlier this year, and I've been busy ever since. Oh, that's, uh, that's brilliant, and it seems that got a quite a colourful experience coming into this, uh, this role. Yeah. 
So what I know about Australian-owned contractors is that it is made up of 18, as you mentioned earlier, local yes. mid-tier construction companies across Australia, and that IOC is advocating more work and less barriers for local mid-tier contractors on major projects, believing that we have the potential to grow domestic skills and allowing Australian-owned contractors to grow and join the Tier 1 League. How did this vision originate and what's been the journey of IOC so far? Yeah, I think you're right, Chavendra, to pick up on the potential to grow and evolve into the Tier 1 League. And that's very much a part and parcel of what our members want and a large part of their frustration. And that's where I think it originated from, a reflection and frustration of the same outcomes on major projects, on the same foreign dominance um, that we've seen as a sort of pattern over the past um, five to 10 years. And I think there was also a genuine level of sadness and regret on behalf of the federal and state governments as to why they were perpetuating this outcome and why they weren't thinking strategically with a more future eye into the consequences. So Australian-owned contractors came together originally from 12 companies and recognising that without a focus on the bad deal that the mid-tier companies were getting out of the state and federal-led procurement and without action coming from our sector and from the wider industry itself, there was probably too many inherent barriers, as you say, and there was a real sense of policy inertia on behalf of policymakers and politicians, which I'm sad to say is largely still the case, but is very much the heart of our charge. Right. It's great to see those 12 companies coming together and demonstrating leadership. And that's something that our industry needs. And we are definitely fortunate to have leaders like yourself. And I also run a small network for contractors in the construction sector. And I see the hunger for them to look up to leaders like ourselves. Brent, so what's your vision for IOC and the industry? And what will you be focusing on most, considering the, the challenging year 2020 has been so far? It sure has. And I suppose in my background, working with clients a bit like you, Shravendra, but coming now and leading an industry association, I really want to help our members be the best that they can be. And I think across mid-tier contractors in Australia and AOC members, there's a real acknowledgement of unrealised potential that our members have to grow, to evolve and to take on bigger opportunities and find even greater excellence in the sort of projects they deliver and the companies they are. Our genesis was a single issue party and with the limited resources we have, our challenge this year has been to respond to different parts of the sector in this sort of emergency or COVID environment, particularly on issues we haven't really come together before to focus on as a group. One reflection I make of our members is that um, they're very passionate about construction, but they're always busy, whether it's on work sites where I have to catch them or busy with other bids, very dynamic. And we've really had to rely on each other to expand our minds and horizons a bit on other questions. I was listening to another podcast of yours with Michael Parker, Shravendra, and he made me chuckle like you when he talked about thought leadership and and what are your leading thoughts? Mm. And very much ours is that we believe that the current policy settings for procurement across Australia, the civil construction industry is, is unsustainable. 
and Australia no longer has a tier one Australian contract in spite of many successful companies um, with humble beginnings over the years being nurtured by successive Australian governments. So sadly, this is no longer the case and governments um, at both levels, we say must acknowledge this problem in terms of sovereignty and capacity and take real action to change it. And that's the challenging message that we want to impart in a year when governments are um, quite rightly distracted. Yeah, no, it's, it is going to be challenging, but the points that you have mentioned are definitely valid and the current operating models will be unsustainable. And I know that's something that the group is focusing on. Sure. Uh, I think the challenge of balancing passion for the industry and being busy with businesses, I think 2020 has definitely made it made it a little bit more complicated because people have had to work on plan Bs and plan Cs in their daily business. But the good part I'm noticing is that, and this is through all the social media updates and the news updates, that AOC members are winning more projects and it appears there's a shift happening. So the question I have is, are decision makers at all levels, and that's federal and states which you have referenced, supportive of promoting local constructors? And is the support consistent across the country? It's a good question. And from my viewpoint, I say uh, slowly, but certainly, but equally not at pace and very much in theoretical frameworks. And I reflect not in the rapid fashion governments can respond, particularly in times of great threat and emergencies, such as the, the COVID environment. But I also think there's a realisation across all the governments that something is not right. Uh, and there are champions in each jurisdiction and, and, and state who we found allies with to help us highlight this problem. Um, but it is a mixed bag. I would point out um, WA Main Roads and Queensland's TMR are showing signs of thinking more strategically about the mid-tier market, and particularly so in breaking up projects. Uh, I reflect too that my home state of Victoria decided to do this for a large suburban roads upgrade program, um, which has been welcomed by many of our members. And I have no doubt many of your listeners are uniquely aware with that large package. So there are isolated steps, but there is much more to be done. And on the Commonwealth level, I'd reflect that Minister McCormick as the responsible minister is approachable, but on our issues, sadly, largely inactive. To the extent, I suppose, that we can say there is agreement on a strategic framework to identify industry sustainability and introduce in regulation and in commitment the sort of procurement outcomes that we think better reflect industry sustainability. I think Australians would be quite dismayed to know that government's taking this seriously enough at this point of time. So that's a bit of an illustration, I would say, across all the Australian states and at the Commonwealth level. Yeah, I think your final remark summarizes why you said slowly <laughs> at the start. So, Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is a lot to be done. And I mean, I guess there's a little bit of the, you could say that there's a little bit of distraction with what's happening, but uh, the government has been spending money on infrastructure. So you'd imagine that this, this is a strategic move that has to be operationalized quickly for us to be able to see the benefits of it in the in the near term. This is a now more than ever, Shravendra, that's true. Yeah, it's a perfect time for reset. But what are some reasons that you and your members are aware that prevents IOC members from winning large infrastructure projects? And is this something that the Australian-owned contractors is working to address? Yeah, absolutely. There are reasons, but there are no good reasons. And uh, very much our charter is seeking to address these. In recent years, as your listeners would be aware, there's a growing trend to bundle large infrastructure projects into big multi-billion dollar tender packages. 
And the consequence of those cuts out mid-tier contractors from these opportunities, and particularly so at the prime contractor level, which is where we're really focused. But particularly so the balance sheet and risk considerations that are through the consequence of these packages overly large and don't allow mid-tier contractors to take on the, the sole risk that some of the other industry players and tier ones can enjoy. So within the market, our feedback and direct experience is that on these major contract opportunities, mid-tier offerings are often the first to be knocked out. Or, and we are of the view that this can't be contributed to or attributed rather to quality or cost considerations alone all of the time. Another reflection is the increased concentration, I suppose, and domination of tier one constructors that due to their success at being awarded the majority of these major projects, I would reflect that there's little incentive for these major tier one players to partner with a mid-tier contractor where they don't have to. And it's not in their business model necessarily, but I can say that it's borne out by the facts as an exceedingly common and uh, normal place um, outcome. So as a consequence of this over the years, we're sharpening our focus and we're putting forward practical ways to overcome this by empowering the governments and their agencies that ultimately fund and procure these projects to break them down further but also introduce industry sustainability clauses where they can't that effectively incentivise mid-tier contractors to be a part of um, the head contract project leadership. I think that's a very reasonable approach because if we break down the large projects, you're literally giving the opportunity to these mid-tiers to participate in these projects and grow into larger firms. And if you don't plant the seed, you will not get the tree, right? And nor do we get the fruit. So I guess we've got to start somewhere small. Well said. But on that topic, I mean, you referenced tier one in that response a number of times. In our previous conversation, I felt that you've taken a very reasonable approach and you've stated publicly, I think, in a few forums that IOC isn't here to remove foreign owned contractors. Yep. So at a delivery level, is the vision to see members of IOC continuing to work with foreign owned tier one contractors? Oh, absolutely. And we acknowledge that tier one contractors are as important part of our industry and many of our members are working alongside them and joint venturing them on, on a very frequent mm-hmm. basis. So to that respect, tier one contractors are not the issue. Very much government decision makers who award these um, procurement outcomes and projects are the issue. So I would also comment that we're not calling for every single infrastructure project in Australia to be broken down or include industry sustainability across the board, we're focused on the government funded and jointly Commonwealth and state funded major transport infrastructure projects um, that are largely represent the civil infrastructure industry of which our members are drawn from. And we feel and know that many Australians would expect an outcome that's more reflective of the mid-tier sector in the head contract tracks of these projects. There's some certain public policy benefits too. In fact, there's many makes better use of the Australian taxpayer's dollar through more taxes and staying on shore and profits on shore, uh, as well as ensuring things like IP protected and, and reflect the origin of the dollar. 
as you mentioned in an earlier question, we're also very passionate about having a pathway to evolve and emerge ourselves from mid-tier contractors into larger contractors. And currently we're being shut out and stifled. So with respect to that partnership with tier one contractors is very much a part of our future, but not at the exclusion of us totally. And we think that government's really got to step up in this regard. Yep. No, I agree. And for me, I mean, I take inspiration from the Snowy Hydro project, right? Because what I've read about it is that the project was done so successfully. And then later on, the contractors who were involved in that were actually contracted to do similar projects around the world. So I think the potential there for Australian owned contractors is not only to play in the tier one league, I think there is potential to build expertise, build IP create a platform which allows them to even uh, even expand beyond our shores. So, and I think that's very real in today's environment, right? Yeah, and, and look, there are some even better, I'd say, Shravendra, examples of the market, the mid-tier market and tier ones working together with on great iconic projects that yeah. are really both successful in terms of their procurement approach, but also the community outcome. So, Bunbury Outer Ring Road in Western Australia is an example of one of those as well. Yeah, that's good to hear. At a holistic scale, other than funding projects, do you think the government could do more to support uh, local contractors? And I mean, I was involved in manufacturing about 10 years ago, and the government then ran programs to subsidize uh, productivity improvements and innovation in manufacturing. And whilst while its impact wasn't widely talked about, it was successful in retaining a fair level of uh, manufacturing, particularly the sophisticated manufacturing in Australia. So could initiatives such as that and establishing centres of excellence help with industry sustainability, a term that is very important to your members? Mm. I'm certainly familiar as well with the level of intervention and and subsidy in some parts uh, across the manufacturing industry in the past. And it causes me to share with you And it's important to note, I think Australian-owned contractors is not and has never asked for a dollar of public government funding for a particular centre of excellence, as the example you mentioned, or a particular sort of industry body. But instead, we think that we can overcome what we see as a policy and market failure with practical intervention at the early stages of project procurement. Mm -hmm. And I think to give you a live example I touched then on the Bunbury Outer Ring Road project, which we hold up as a, as a gold standard for procurement thinking, again, to acknowledge main roads, Western Australia. In that project, an $852 million alliance, I believe, project down in the south of um, WA, the government and through uh, main roads expressed a pre- preference in the EOI stage of the contract that non-tier ones would be a part of the head contract of that project. And that was something we embraced as some strategic thinking. Go forward to today, Shravendra, the outcome of that is two proponents were shortlisted. Both had Australian-owned contractors within their consortium. One was a consortium with two Australian AOC members. Mm -hmm. The other was not an AOC member, but we were thrilled to see an Aussie was in there. And the outcome of that project announced, I think, in the last month was that the the Australian-owned contractors' members were be successful, at least in being named the project proponents. So that is a specific way that we think governments can intervene 
in very light touch ways, but in ways that acknowledge industry sustainability. I also reflect, Shravendra, we, last time I think we spoke, we talked about uh, what books we were reading. And one of them we mentioned was Christopher Pine's book, which I've just yeah. managed to finish. And he talks as an industry example about the Defence Sovereign Industry Capability Fund, I believe, that he established. So there is form on this, and I'm aware of many sectors that have that approach, the strategic approach from the federal or state levels to support industry sustainability. And we're not looking to reinvent the wheel on this. We think there are models and approaches that can be done. We say that this can be done in the early stage of procurement through a Bunbury Outer Ring Road type approach, but the government first needs to acknowledge there is an issue and come together with all the players in the industry to work out the best way forward for industry sustainability. I would say that that's a very reasonable approach. Like when we hear of advocacy, we sometimes think being a rebel. I think what you guys are doing is very reasonable. And if I'll take that project as a reference, two things I picked up was it probably wasn't any more complicated than a normal issue of a tender for the main roads uh, WA. It's a matter of just working out some formalities. The second part was the hype it caused on social media. So I think it got shared on LinkedIn and there's so much positive feedback coming out. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So Uh, uh, there's a big support group, I think, cheering on uh, these uh, mid-tier contracts. It it was very refreshing. And and I didn't see one criticism of that Mm. policy, including from our tier one friends. Achiona were involved in that project with NRW and MACA, who are two ASC members and every party to that came out very happy. Yeah, that's really good to see. And I think that's a side benefit of trying to do something at a, at a, at a country level, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, on that note, we are part of a very dynamic, vibrant and growing industry. And through AOC, I think we're getting some good stories coming out. And at this point in time, the industry has the opportunity to reimagine itself. So Brent, what makes you most excited about the infrastructure construction industry in Australia? Well, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about, and I'd put that on the mantle of the COVID-led recovery. I suppose reflecting on Australians over the past 50, 40, 30 years, we've looked to the agricultural sector, and then more recently in the 90s to the financial sector, and over the last few years, perhaps to the education sector to drive Australia's future prosperity. But It's becoming more and more evident that now is a great opportunity for our sector, for civil construction and construction more generally to drive the sort of COVID-led recovery that we all desperately need. I've learned a lot sitting in this chair for a relatively few amount of months um, on some of the excellence, I guess, from our members. And a few examples come to mind. Wagners, who produce earth-friendly concrete, I was talking to them the other day and their Australian developed product, which dramatically reduces carbon emissions, is being used in a six-storey commercial development in the Fortitude Valley. Mm. And uh, I understand it's the world's first geopolymer concrete multi-storey construction project. So I'm hearing great stories of innovation from our member companies, Australian companies, and It's fantastic to see that the Aussie know-how is out there and being embraced. Another example that comes to mind, Abigaldi Complex Infrastructure have an Abigaldi Energy, which makes drills, as I understand it, for underground hydrogen storage, which is certain to be a part of our, um, our sort of carbon strategy for the future. So I love hearing of these 
Aussie innovations. I know um, the community does and, and politicians do, and there's a lot more to be said about really getting the most um, value for Bark in, um, in supporting Australian-owned contractors. And that's perfect. It's brilliant you share that because uh, in coming up with a title for this uh, episode, I, I put the title up as Firing Up Australia's Construction Potential. Oh, there you and go. Yeah. So I think what you've just mentioned. I hope I've those, met the need. Yes, yes. And I'm going to look up the Wagner's Earth-Friendly Concrete uh, Project because it sounds, sounds, sounds really good. And I think, see, these kind of initiatives, they're not, not only for the local market, right? This is... Uh, this is all going to spread and... Uh, yeah, it, it's world leading. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Now, that's fantastic. We are nearly out of time, but before we finish this podcast, where can people get more information about the Australian-owned contractors and some of the topics that uh, you have covered today? Yeah, certainly from our website, www.australianownedcontractors.com.au and our LinkedIn and increasingly our Facebook is used to communicate to those across our industry. At the time of hearing this, you'll also be aware of Australian-owned contractors' um, Queensland election campaign to call on the Queensland government and opposition and parties to reflect on their procurement models and make sure that more contracts, head contract opportunities as well, are being awarded to more Australian companies more often. So those are probably our best resources there. Yep. And uh, our, our audience can join in those conversations. It's, it'll be always good to get more support and get the discussion spreading and getting as many stakeholders combining for, for such efforts. Brent, do you have a final message for our audience? Yes. Um, and I'll try to keep it brief. I think now more than ever, individual Australians have a real say on what they should expect and can expect from their governments in how iconic and community transformative infrastructure projects are put out to market. And it's one of the reasons we're launching our Queensland election campaign on that issue. AOC is pleased to be involved in the industry debate on how to better protect a sustainable future. And I think, as you say, Shrevenja, the opportunities to contribute to this debate will only help us better inform those in, you know, inside and outside of the industry. But also the feedback and debate within such as this competitive contractor podcast is really useful to people like me. Also for people like you, Shrevendra, in, in formulating the best possible advice to your clients. And I know you have a great industry-wide spread of intelligence. So bringing those together and having the opportunity to debate and formulate policy ideas is making a real difference. Yeah, thanks, Brent. And I really appreciate that uh, you sharing that with us. It, look, it's great having leaders like yourself supporting our industry. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. Your insights will help many of our contractors make even more significant contributions to Australia's infrastructure, grow their business, and be the competitive contractor. Thanks very much. And I wish the Australian-owned contractors all the best. And I look forward to catching up with you maybe in a future podcast sometime later. Look forward to listening to many more of yours as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Competitive Contractor Podcast. If you want to grow your business and be more profitable, contact us through www.shivendra.com. Our commitment is to impact you and your business positively and be the competitive contractor.